We are thrilled to have you here for a very special episode of Pastor Tom's podcast, Living Truth. Pastor Tom shares about how God has given him a heart for missions and walks us along that journey. Pastor Tom is currently living that out as he is with Kathy Hikes and PTI, teaching and training pastors, lay leaders, women, how to handle the Word of God, and how to minister to their churches better. If you'd like to know more about what Pastor Tom is doing and where he's doing it, you can reach out to his private Facebook page or connect with us here in the office, and we'll let you know everything we know as Pastor Tom and Kathy serve our global God on the west coast of Africa. This is Living Truth Podcast, where our purpose is to help you understand the Bible better, live its truth more completely, and experience your relationship with Jesus more deeply. I'm Tom Hine, and I'm your host and resource person in partnership with various guests who engage with us in dynamic conversation and stories from their own lives. Hello, everybody. It's great to have you with us again on Living Truth. This is Tom, and today Jake and I are going to just visit a little bit. I'm going to change it up from what I normally do and tell you a little bit of the story of how I developed a missions heart. This will be the first in a series on missions. What we talked about a little bit was talking about missions, looking at some scriptures, some theology, talk with some of our Go partners, and then just take it one time, one at a time, each week, each episode. Sound good, Jake? Yeah. I'm really excited. Ironically, I think by the time this first podcast launches, you'll be on your way. Yes, Probably I Probably won't be here, right? Exactly. Where will you be? Well, I tell you what, since this is a public broadcast, oh, yeah. good call. I will say it's going to be in a nation where it's predominantly Muslim. And so this will be a bit of a challenge, but I'm very excited about the lead pastor that I'll be working with. He's organized about 70 to 80 pastors for a conference, which is a much bigger training group than I usually start with. Wow, but we awesome. have some, yeah, we have some methods we're going to use to try to break down into small groups. And he's a very excellent organizer, real sharp guy. I met him in class when I was teaching in Liberia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's fascinating. I didn't even think about the fact you probably couldn't share where you're going. Yeah, I was thinking about this morning, and I just decided, well, I could, but I think it's better not to. Yeah. Is there more concern for you? Is there more concern for who you're interacting with, potentially? I mean, what could happen for me is if the wrong person got a hold of the broadcast, they would say, don't let that guy in again. Don't give him a visa. But probably a little more concern for them. Now, the country I'm going, there's not a high rate of persecution uh, compared to one place where I go over in Asia. Mm -hmm. But still, I just... Don't Better know safe than sorry. Sure. And, exactly. Yeah, but but it will sure. be on the west coast of Africa okay. and fairly close by Liberia. So you can take yeah. a look at a map, Break sort it out, maps figure it out. Today. I'll tell you if, we'd, <laughs> if you want. But yeah, that's what's happening. So, how did you kind of get interested in missions in the beginning? Yeah. And I think 
we really need to go way back. All right. Uh, way back when I was attending church in my hometown, and that's up in northeastern Iowa, a little town called Elkater. Unfortunately, that particular church was a, what we would call a more liberal church, meaning mm-hmm. that they did not, and still do not, necessarily see the Bible as God's word. The gospel was not shared. I didn't hear the gospel until I was a teenager and turned on television, and I saw Billy Graham at an event preaching the gospel, and I sent away for some information. Billy Graham, when he used to preach at the end of their show, he'd say, now, if you'd like... Right to such and such address, Billy Graham, up in North Folk, Minnesota. And you could send away for information. I did that. And I don't know what my parents thought when I yeah. did that. But anyway, um, so the church, not being a Bible based, gospel motivated kind of a church, I didn't hear the gospel until that point in time. And didn't respond to the gospel until I was 20 years old. So after I made a commitment to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior and started studying the Bible and reaffirmed and confirmed the reliability of Scripture and just, you know, doing things that we are called to do as a follower of Jesus— I was invited to go to a conference in Urbana, Illinois. It's called Urbana. I think it still goes on. It's a gathering of college students primarily, although anybody can go, for the purpose of having a conference around missions, and we'd have different speakers that would come, breakout workshops. We stayed on the University of Illinois campus, had small groups that were woven into your day, get to know other students as well. And so a few different uh, students from our campus group went, and I went as well. Now, at the time, I was also struggling with what was I being called toward in life, and I felt a strong pull to preach the word, to share the gospel, and to me, that meant either becoming a missionary or a pastor, Mm -hmm. but one of the reasons why I was reluctant to respond to that call that I sensed was I'd sat in this church for many years as a child and a teenager, and people would sit there and they'd kind of have a deadpan expression on their face. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see any emotional response, didn't see any vigorous worship, didn't hear truth being taught. And so I, I know it was a little bit twisted, but my thought was, what if I preach and nobody responds? Right. And the only kind of context I had was thinking about how people sat in church when I was growing up. And so that was my fear. Because at but, this point, your church experience was mostly the liberal church you grew up in. and then Yeah, exactly. I, I was starting to test out some Bible-believing churches. Okay. But for some reason, I didn't 
connect uh, the two. And, and yeah, I was a very young Christian, mm-hmm. just trying to sort things out. So while I was at this missions conference, one of the things we did was they gave us a devotional guide, and there was a passage over in Isaiah where the Word of God says, the rain and the snow come down from heaven and accomplish the purpose that God has. And then he says, so too my word accomplishes its purpose. And something, a light bulb went off, and I recognized, oh, God, if you're calling me to be a pastor or a missionary, and I wasn't really sure which direction at that time, then it's my responsibility to get the word out. It's your responsibility to bring forth the fruit. Mm -hmm. Now, the fact is, that's the responsibility of any Christian. Um, As pastors who are regularly preaching, we have a unique opportunity to do that in worship on Sundays or other Mm -hmm. worship times, and missionaries have a unique opportunity as well. But, But the fact is that we all do have the responsibility. We can all have that confidence that when God's Word is sown, that... God brings forth mm-hmm. the fruit. So one of the things that did was it took a real weight off my shoulders. Your only responsibility is to be obedient yeah, and sharing. Yeah, and... exactly. And a part of it also has to do, this is an entirely different story, but my transformation from being a perfectionist and being somebody who relies on themselves mm-hmm. to get things done. But th- like I say, that's a whole different yeah. story. And so then I came back and finished up my degree at the University of Iowa in chemical engineering. Kathleen finished up her degree in nursing. We're very involved in campus ministry. And then we got involved, I got involved as an intern at our church, a Bible church in Iowa City. We did campus ministry with them and really got to be involved in the full spectrum of pastoral ministries. And that that was the intent the pastor there had a real vision for taking young people under his wing, seeing them grow and develop and serve God in various ways. And so that was a real privilege. Was and that your first kind of experience in a Bible-believing church? In yeah. Any long, yeah. long-term commitment? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that was about as long a term commitment as a young person makes. Right, right. Uh, that was for two years. Oh, that is, yeah. It's yeah. a significant portion <laughs> It of is. Time. You think it's a lifetime when you're that age. Yeah. And at the end of that time, Kathleen and I accepted an opportunity out in New York City to do training in Muslim evangelism. Oh, wow. And so we lived in a church in Brooklyn, New York, it was Second Evangelical Free Church, and okay. by the way, some of you know this, most of you probably know that, we are Evangelical Free Church here. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my first experience with an Evangelical Free Church. And not to date you or anything, but just yeah. so we can have an idea about what time period is this. And dated is dated. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it is. And so this was, let's see, the internship started in 1982 at the Bible Church, so that would have been the summer of 84. Okay. And we were a young couple, no kids yet. They had a wing of their building. Mm-hmm. They kind of had the opposite problem that we have right now as a church. 
they had more room in their church than they needed. So, oh, yeah. So what they would do is they would host this missions team to come. There was about 11 of us that lived in a wing of a church where there were Sunday school classrooms. And so Kathleen and I had a Sunday school classroom to ourselves. We had two cots, a dresser, a chair, and a fan. All right. No air conditioning. Back in those days, people didn't worry yeah. too much about that kind of thing. And uh, we all ate together all the time, attended classes together. There was actually about 50 people in this training program, wow. and we were just one section of the program. And then on weekends and evenings, some days where we were not in class, we would go around New York City and we would knock on doors trying to meet immigrant families. Hmm. Back in those days, people used phone books. And so somebody would go through the phone book and find all the addresses of people that had Middle Eastern names. Okay. And then they'd give us, go to 5012 Spruce Street mm -hmm. in Brooklyn, New York. Knock on the door. And so we go knock on the door, and sometimes, well, I'd say half the time, we would be great. I mean, they were amazed mm -hmm. to actually have a conversation with an American. Mm -hmm. Mostly, they kind of stayed to themselves, and New York City can be a rough place. And so they were glad to talk with us. Yeah. And we would use a method where we'd ask them if they wanted to go through a survey, and mm -hmm. the survey was oriented to some general questions leading to some religious questions. And then after we finished with the survey, we'd ask them if they'd like to be in a Bible study together with us. Okay. And so that was our experience going door-to-door, uh, -door, reaching out to uh, Muslims. We also had the opportunity to talk with veteran missionaries who have been in various places around the globe. Uh, Indonesia is one place where there was a couple going. We've stayed in touch with them down through the years. And the Philippines, the island, island of Mindanao was another place where there was a missionary that were, in a sense, recruiting us mm -hmm. to go and be with them. And that was a real stretching Mm -hmm. kind of experience. Yeah. Go to small town Iowa to exactly. Yeah, New yeah. York City and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What was what were some of the hardest parts of that time and what were some of the highlights of that time? So a hard time was one of the training sessions was to go without eating or drinking mm. for all of the daylight hours. There's a particular holiday that Muslims practice called Ramadan. Mm -hmm. And during the month of Ramadan, during the day, all Muslims will go without water or food, and then they'll eat after the sun sets. And so in order that we could experience what they go through, mm -hmm. we were asked to do that. So that was kind of tough because we still had to get out, knock on doors mm -hmm. that day and do training. And by the end of the day, with about an hour left, I said to Kathleen, I said, let's find some shade and just sit, sit, sit down for a little while. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that, that was hard from the standpoint of just physical mm -hmm. weariness. 
And, um, you know, I'd say a highlight was seeing some of the response. We got to know a young man from Palestine, real fiery kind of a guy mm -hmm. that uh, we got to know and really enjoyed. We'd invite them to come back to the church, and they had a little area where you could go play games like table tennis, that kind of thing. And so we got to know him and hung out with him quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And so that was a highlight. Being around some experienced missionaries, hearing their stories That's and always their lives, that was a real highlight for sure. Mm -hmm. So we came back to Iowa City. We'd had our stuff in storage during that summer. And then we took off for Denver Seminary. Our intent when we went to Denver Seminary was to head to the missions field after mm -hmm. we finished up seminary. So a couple things happened during that time. One is that my younger brother came to know the Lord, mm -hmm. and he got involved with the Navigators Ministry, and he went to the missions field. Okay. And so he went to what today, well, it used to be called Yugoslavia. Now we call it Croatia mm -hmm. and Bosnia, kind of that area. It was in Zagreb. And so he was there as a young single man. And so, first of all, like I say, he went, and so we wanted to be an encouragement support to him, which we tried to do. And one of the things that he did was he really challenged us in terms of our own missions vision, particularly in regard to what we would call unreached people groups. Okay. So the Bible talks about the ethnic groups. It uses the word nations. Mm -hmm. um, in the Old Testament, it talks about the nations. New Testament talks about the nations. And the word that is used for nations is in Greek, E-T-H-N, and then the long form of E, which you pronounce in Greek, ne. So ethne, the mm -hmm. ethne, the ethnic groups. That means there are well, scholars say there's, um, I think, about 40,000 different ethne, ethnic groups in the world. So very different from the political nations. What kind of makes an exactly. ethnic group an ethnic group? Is it So a number of things. Culture, language, rituals, customs. And why it's important is when you have a different language, different customs, different rituals and ways of thinking, you're essentially walled off mm -hmm. from the gospel. I mean, just an easy example. Let's say that there were no French speakers who knew the gospel. Okay. And we as English speakers, we know the gospel. So the call is to go learn French, share the gospel with French-speaking people. That's an extremely simplified mm -hmm. uh, version of the call to go to the ethnic groups, the peoples, the uh, ethno-linguistic groups, mm -hmm. the nations of yeah. the world. Another way of thinking about it is the United States, when white people came to the United States before it was the United States, we had Indian tribes. Right. And 
those tribes were related, but they had different languages. They had somewhat different rituals, although yeah. they exchanged uh, different things with one another. So that would be another way, you know, the Bible uses, talks about the nations, the tribes, and the world essentially is composed of tribes. Mm -hmm. Now that tribal network is breaking down in some respects as a result of television, mm -hmm. radio, internet, but but it still exists. Right, right. People are still walled off and don't have opportunity to hear the gospel because they're in a particular cultural group. And so there there are well, at this point, I think around eight to ten thousand ethnic groups that have never had the gospel, some with millions wow. of people. And we can talk later when it's appropriate uh, and we're on the topic more about this topic. But anyway, in, in my story, my brother began to challenge me with that and invited me to go to a conference. And so this was uh, a part of what we began to think about was asking God if we were being called to go to unreached peoples in some manner or form, which at the time was, and still today to a certain extent, were groups of people associated with the Muslim religion or Hinduism. Okay. And so one of the interesting things about uh, being in Brooklyn also was that it was kind of the first time that I ever saw a Hindu temple right in the oh, middle okay. of Brooklyn, which to me was surprising. Yeah. To just be walking along the street, nice Brooklyn neighborhood, and boom, right there, uh, taking up half a block yeah. is this Hindu temple. And very different architecture, I'm sure. Kind of uh, just, just a little bit. Sticks out a little bit. Yeah. 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 Wild kinds of images, statues. Uh, those of us who have studied a little bit of Hinduism understand that. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, that, that was a little bit of a shock, and there there was an arm of the mission that we were training with that was devoted to Hindu uh, evangelism as oh, well. Okay. But at the time, because of the events going on in the world, I think there were more people that were thinking about evangelism with Muslims. And so, so anyway, we headed off to Denver Seminary with that in mind. Then, as I began to move through my seminary experience, a couple things happened. One is that I began to see the need for churches to have a missions vision mm -hmm. and recognizing that missionaries can't go out unless individual Christians financially and prayerfully support missionaries and just recognizing that that's a real need. And then as I went through seminary, sensing that at least the initial call for me was to be called to go to a church, to serve as a pastor, mm -hmm. and to support missions. Mm -hmm. And so I graduated from seminary, and the first church that I went to as an associate pastor was a very strong missions-oriented kind of a church. They would have a Sunday where what they would raise all of their financial mission support in one Sunday. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. They would, they would have a great, I mean, they had weeks leading up to it. They had a right. missions conference and then they had what they called a faith promise. Are you familiar with I, that concept? I am not actually. So the idea is kind of similar to what we do with our building program. Okay. That is call people to a significant investment in missions okay. and invite people to put down on a card, do you believe God is leading you to give $100, mm-hmm. $500, $5,000, $50,000 this year to the missions cause? Okay. And then out of that, we had a missions budget that we used to send missionaries around the world. Wow. So that was uh, that was a very positive, encouraging kind of yeah. experience. And this was, this was the first church you were at? This is the first church I was at as an associate pastor. It was a Bible church out in Akron, Ohio, and still good church. We keep connection with some people from there still to this day. Then I was called up to Eagle Grove, Iowa, and that was the first evangelical free church that I served at. That was back in 1990. Okay. And so while there, continued to grow my own missions vision. And, oh, I, I one of the things I missed was, I know some of us have taken the perspectives course, mm-hmm. or now we have a shorter form of it called the journey course. Which and so, I would highly recommend. That's one yeah, and you've been there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was, what did you think of it? It was a huge blessing. It was, I think, some of my favorite elements were hearing stories from people who have been there, um, who have lived it out. We had one guy speak who was from near Papua New Guinea, maybe. Um, yeah, I've heard him. Yes. I, I, I went one night when it was oh, yeah. about a year or so ago. Yeah. He was and speaking then that night. The history of missions, talking about what it looks like for those early in kind of modern missions who were the first people to go from America. It was just, I don't know, hearing the stories of people who have sacrificed a lot to go was very impactful. And then the idea of missions being twofold, the people who go, but then the very active role of people who support them yes. was a really, really key topic that I walked away with. Yes. It was, it was fantastic. I mean, yeah. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah. And we're 99% likely to host the journey course next year. That is so awesome. I mean, it, it is good calendar. enough. I will go yeah. again. Yeah. Um, that's, that's how impactful it was for us. Yeah. So we'll be looking forward to that about a year from now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's exciting. And so I got involved in that. I was one of the first students and... We didn't have the capability in those days to do it online. And so I would do it basically through the mail. Okay. I would read a chapter in a book, have an assignment, send in the assignment, and somebody would correct the assignment. The guy who started all of this out at the U.S. Center for World Mission is Ralph Winter. And probably wasn't him correcting my assignments. I'd, I'd like uh, to think it was. <laughs> but about, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like to think it was. And so um, so I went through the perspectives course as a correspondence mm-hmm. course. Uh, that's what we called it in those days. Okay. And this is while you're at uh, Eagle Grove? Uh, well, this is a longer uh, story too. So while, during those two years back 
in Iowa City while I was an intern. I was also taking some courses. And I was allowed to have this course, take this course for credit. Okay. So instead of taking a missions course at seminary, this is the course I took. But what I like about this course was it had an emphasis on unreached people Mm -hmm. groups as well. Which at the time would have been kind of a newer newer idea exactly right? yeah yeah it was or kind of leading edge focus. and yeah. people were just starting to start out oh bible talks about this mm-hmm. and people were just starting to strategize on how do we reach unreached people groups yeah so yeah so that's all mixed in with this uh with my journey as mm-hmm. well so in eagle grove um a young family trying to sort things out and so we had one couple who went to the missions field. We had a couple that uh, was going to Mongolia that I met, and we took them on with support and did some things like that in the context of pastoral ministry, in the context of church ministry, in the context of growing as a church and discipling as a church. So... I think at this point, maybe just jump over New Hope. Yeah. Because uh, what happened with New Hope then, when I came here and skipping a whole bunch of stuff, is that we started to figure out, okay, how are we going to do church? And we knew that missions needed to be a part of how we do church. And so one of the elders and myself traveled down to the border of Mexico. Okay. And how far into New Hope are we at this point? So we're about three, four, five years. Okay. So still a very young church. Yeah. And yeah. but up to that time, we had not yet supported a lot of missions, uh, some supporting Mark Doss in okay. the Central District with planting churches. Yeah. But you're but, at a very different point in the church yeah. life than you were in. Exactly. Yeah. In the previous two churches were more developed, and so Mm -hmm. New Hope at that time was just early on. We're just trying to figure out, how do we do this? What does the Lord want us to do? And so Bob and I traveled down to the Mexican border, a border town, Nuevo Progreso, which is near McAllen, Texas. And we got to know a pastor there on the Mexican side who had a vision for starting a church. We began to talk with him. There's a guy from Adel named Carl Bourne that acted as an intermediary. And so we started working with the pastor. Pastor's name was kind of a different name, Chewy uh, okay. was his name. <laughs> and so... We started working with Pastor Chewy to plant a church. We started sending missions teams down there. And part of my idea with this was to give the opportunity for people from New Hope to have a taste of cross-cultural ministry, Mm -hmm. recognizing that the goal is to be locally engaged and reaching out to people, to be doing that in Dallas County, in Iowa, United mm-hmm. States, internationally, and ultimately to the people groups of the world. Yeah. But I thought this was kind of an in-between kind of experience where yeah. people would be willing to go and do something outside of their comfort zone, but not so Somewhat far away accessible. that they, they... Yeah, exactly. They couldn't... I mean, like some situations even today are very hard to get to. Mm-hmm. Some places in the world, some people yeah. groups. 
So this was kind of in between. And I think we ended up taking about 30 people, 30 adults down and wow. a few teens down to Nuevo Progreso. And we ended up erecting a church, raising funds and erecting a church building. And you probably heard us talk yeah. about this even before we had a church building here in Adel. Yeah. If you've been around, if you stood around for Tim Candy for too long, he'll tell you the story. Exactly. <laughs> it's a pretty remarkable story how God led us when most people would think, you guys need to be getting a building yourself. You didn't have a building, but you helped build one for a church in yeah, exactly. That is, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yep. And, you know, we made some mistakes in terms of follow through and things like that. Mm-hmm. We ended up sending young people and adults down there for a few years. Then things started to get real dicey on the border. I went down there one time and there was a tank. Oh. Uh, an armored tank literally sitting on the border mm. uh, and Mexican soldiers there. And we started to read about people being killed and mm. buildings being blown up, buildings that we'd walk by. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were gang wars mm. on the border. And one of the places where those gang wars took place was there in Nuevo Progreso, mm-hmm. where we had this church. And so... We stopped going down there for a while, and unfortunately, like I say, we really lost touch mm-hmm. with uh, the ministry there. But And so, like I say, we, we made mistakes, but it was a learning experience, a growing experience. I think it ignited some missions kind mm-hmm. of experience and desire in our hearts as a church. And then I'd say the second thing as a church is that, well, We've taken on various missionaries and mm-hmm. supported them down through the years, as some of you know. Um, so we've had, for example, a really excellent kind of investment over in Asia, mm-hmm. and um, we have a couple that does ministry there, and many of you know that couple. And so there, we've been real excited because... Um, this Asian country is just filled with different people groups and people who need the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so that's been exciting for us as a church to be involved there. Yeah. And then, um, we've taken on other missionaries. We've added some local missions causes that we've been involved in. And another Really exciting thing is that when we took on our first youth pastor, Scott, Scott had come out of a missions kind of a background okay. and taken lots of young people overseas, and he still does some of that kind of thing today. And so Scott took our youth on missions trips regularly, and Tim Canney was real involved in that, particularly missions trips around the Midwest and like the kinds of things where a tornado hit over in Illinois and then the kids went over there, did cleanup. And I think they went down to Oklahoma one time. I think it was a family trip Mm -hmm. down to Oklahoma. And so that was really impactful for the young people. Number one, to go and serve, to be out of their comfort zone. Number Mm -hmm. two, to just have significant time with adults who were on those trips so as well. Important. Yeah, absolutely. 
So I'd say that's another thing that we've done well down through the years is those uh, missions trips and having that time together as a church family with young people. And I, I, I love that that's something that New Hope has, I mean, we're kind of getting back into it. COVID put a real for hamper sure. on things for traveling for a while. Yes. But I love that there's trips that involve youth, um, but also trips that involve kind of families and um, people going together. I think that's super important. Sometimes I, I know in the church I grew up in, mission trips was something that kids did. And once you graduated high school, mission trips were no longer an option for you. And I love that New Hope has, I mean, even Louisiana this year, we've got adults and, and kids together going. And I think that's so special and so impactful. I think it's great too. Yeah. And really important, like I say, both from a missions and a discipleship Absolutely. kind of perspective where you get people together for extended periods of time. God works. Mm -hmm. That's why we emphasize small groups and mm -hmm. mission trips and being together. And serving and, together. Yeah, yeah and serving together, exactly. And so that's kind of where we're at today. And now, as Pastor Ryan came on board, he's helped us be organized in terms of what we would call a GO strategy that encompasses going locally. And one of the things we'd like to do in the coming weeks is to have some time with some of the people that are partners. And we'll also do as much as we can talking about not only local partners, but overseas partners as yeah. well. And then additionally, just being strategic in how we go about doing ministry both locally and globally, and with an emphasis on having significant kinds of relational connections, because I know one of the things that can be frustrating for people is to be financially supporting a ministry, but not have that personal connection. Right. And so um, Ryan and Tim have been real helpful to remind us that it's important to have that relational connection mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So having those relationships and working on a system that encourages that and that we are genuinely helping. And yeah, I mean, you drag 15 high school or somewhere, there's going to be chaos, but hopefully there can be genuine blessing as well. For sure. And I think, like you say, that just depends on where you go, mm -hmm. what you do, how you help. Yeah. I know Tim went down to St. Louis a couple of times, mm -hmm. and we made some church connections mm -hmm. there, and I know that was impactful. Mm -hmm. And so... Those relationships are yeah, so key. They, they really are key. I think that one of the things about traveling, doing youth missions trips, if you stay within you know, eight, ten hours mm -hmm. drive, you're, you're always going to be able to do something that's worthwhile, mm -hmm. like... Yeah. Going over and helping clean up yeah. um, a tornado, yeah, it's kind of boring, it's mm -hmm. hard work, but you do build relationships yeah. on a trip Absolutely. like that. And if you're going to go over to Costa Rica or Africa, I think that's where that situation mm -hmm. pertains, where you're yeah. spending thousands upon thousands of dollars to yeah. go over and paint a barn mm -hmm. when when you yeah. could. Yeah. help them develop. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So all good things, and we'll keep on seeking the Lord's will for what we're going to do in the future, missions-wise as a church, and it's really exciting to see a growing missions vision. Mm -hmm. And so 
just plan to uh, be at uh, that conference next year, that uh, class next year, the yeah. journey class, and be learning, being listening in in the coming weeks as we continue to talk about missions a little bit. I hope the, we'll get a chance to hear a little bit more of, as much as you can share about what PTI does, right? Yeah, I I'm think uh, we'll probably do that in the next podcast. All right. So, We'll do that, and um, just encourage all of you to keep listening to the podcast, keep uh, responding to the Lord and asking Him um, just what's next for us as a church and what's next for you as a person in terms of following the Lord and supporting His cause, His kingdom cause, here and around the world. Amen.